You are listening to episode 39 of the Lewis and Kyle Show with Gina Simpson. It's really easy not to have to look inward when you're busy. Mm-hmm. Um, as entrepreneurs, we tend to live in the future. We're always looking two steps ahead because we have to anticipate what's coming, right? So if I had to say, how did my mindset change the most? It was that I stopped trying to live in the future so much and started trying to be more present and live in the moment so that I could take what my true passion is at my core and helping and inspiring people who want to be entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We're excited to have you. Lewis and I are students at the University of Alabama, and we're on a journey to deconstruct success stories of interesting entrepreneurs, investors, and people making a big impact on their world. We're taking what we learn and applying those lessons in our own lives and sharing the best of what we learn with you, the audience. Lewis, who do we have on the show today? This episode, we talk to Gina Simpson. Gina is an entrepreneurship professor at the University of Alabama, and she's taught Kyle and I in a number of different programs and academies and groups that we've been a part of related to entrepreneurship. Uh, she's held a couple of different hats in her career. She formerly was a motivational speaker and keynote speaker and author. Uh, she's been a serial entrepreneur herself in a number of different industries, uh, especially construction, which we talked a little bit about in this interview. She's also a professional coach uh, for her company, Saluna Strategies. In this interview, we talk about all of Gina's favorite topics to talk about and best lectures, as I like to call it. Uh, those topics include concepts like bounded rationale, why that's an important theory for entrepreneurs to understand. We talk about Gina's approach to team building and the importance of self-awareness. And just so you all can kind of keep up with the structure of this episode, Gina is world famous for icebreakers. Uh, so we start out this conversation with about a five to 10 minute icebreaker before we dive right into the content. So it might seem unfocused at first, uh, but we get right back on track. So with that, I'm gonna cut to the audio. Hey, Gina, thank you so much for doing the podcast with us. We're excited to hear your story in a, a bit more detail. Hey, I'm honored to be on here with you guys. I respect what you are doing and you're doing a great job as entrepreneurs. So I'm excited to be with you. Thank you so much. Well, we know having had you as an instructor in multiple you know, classes and summer programs, you're famous for icebreakers. So I figured it'd be fun to start this podcast, putting you on the spot to come up with one for the three of us <laughs> to do super quick. Touche, I love it. You oh, want me to do one? Oh, yeah. I thought you had one for me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was like, you're the pro. Okay, let's do an icebreaker. Um, I've got a great one for you. What is the best customer service experience you've ever had? Well, I think I'll, I'll go ahead and answer this. I think that there's not one moment, but across a large number of times that I've been to one establishment, Chick fil A takes the cake a hundred percent of the time. All their employees are so bought into the vision of being like unified, trying to help customers love Chick-fil-A. That's my answer. That's your answer. Okay, Lewis, do you have an answer? I have one that's less exciting as it's a newer answer. And I just want to point out real quick that we're not editing how fast Gina came up with that icebreaker. It was like an instant, uh, there's no pause there. That was was right off the bat, but mine, is going to be ButcherBox, who is not sponsoring the podcast yet, but maybe eventually. Uh, that's just an idea I came up with. It's meat subscription delivery, uh-huh. and it's super cool. They, uh, you know, you're getting this meat frozen, and it has. To, they don't want it to come with dry ice in the box because, you know, it's unsafe to handle that if you're not trained or whatever, have the appropriate equipment. But if there's not enough ice, uh, it's going to melt, you know, leave on your doorstep too long. So they perfectly balance it so that they like estimate when you're going to arrive at home. So it's like the safest food, but safe to handle as well. And I'm just impressed by that. 
It's a very simple process, and I, I like it. For the record, Lewis used to be a vegan, but <laughs> on to you, Miss Gina. <laughs> well, welcome to the dark side, um, the dark organic side. It's not quite as dark over here. <laughs> so as entrepreneurs, why in the world would I want you to think about the best customer service experience you've ever had? Well, so we can customers think, think about it for ourselves. And do what with that? I mean, be inspired to come up with it. Replicate it. Yes, and replicate it. There you it. go. So I'm going to jump with yours, Kyle, because this is what I do with icebreakers. I take them a step further. Is what do you think it is about Chick-fil-A really that you love? Do you think it's the chicken or the people? It has to be. I'll take it a step further as well. I mean, it has to be something in their training, like with the people that work there. I don't know what it is. I've honestly, I've told people before that I want to just get a job at Chick-fil-A for a week to see the process that they put their employees through to get them all to buy into the idea of being so happy friendly. Because like, you know, other companies try to do that unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's got to be something in their process of education with these students or, or whoever's working there that, that makes them buy in. So I think that is what I, what I love about Chick-fil-A. It's definitely not, you know, the amazing way that the chicken tastes, even though it is good. It's the people. It is. Um, and that's so wonderful that you've noticed that it's their culture because the truth is that's their competitive advantage. What they have understood and then what ButcherBox has understood is that if they're going to be successful, that they have to figure out how they're making their customers feel or how their customers want to feel. So if you think about your best customer service experience and how it makes you feel, you feel respected and welcomed at Chick-fil-A. And when you feel good, it like make tricks you into thinking the food tastes better. <laughs> it's the same thing for the butcher box. They're thinking about you and when you arrive and is the meat going to be good? And the reason I ask entrepreneurs that is because if you want to be successful, then you need to find out how your customers want to feel and you need to find a really good way to deliver your product and make them feel that way. No, so there's your icebreaker. Well, what's your, what's your favorite customer experience? Oh, it's kind of a, a long story, but if you have time, I'll tell you because I know, I know. I know nothing but time. <laughs> okay. So my husband and I went to Mexico for a trip over Thanksgiving one year. And when we were there, we were staying at a, a pretty nice hotel, but there was like a super nice hotel right beside us called Las Ventanas. And we weren't in a position in our life where we could really afford to stay at Las Ventanas to like give you an idea of who was there. Like Martha Stewart was staying there at the time we were there. So um, we were, we still had, we had a great trip and over Thanksgiving and our anniversary happens to fall over that weekend as well. And we wanted to go over to a restaurant at Las Vitanas and at least eat. So we went downstairs at our hotel, Casa del Mar, and this is in Cabo San Lucas. And we go down and we're like, hey, like, do you think you could get us reservations over at the restaurant at Las Ventanas? And the concierge was fantastic. He said, yeah, when do you want to go? And we said, well, we were thinking we wanted to have Thanksgiving there. So he calls over looks back at us and says, hey, I'm sorry, like Thanksgiving's booked. And we're like, hmm, okay. So we stepped away from the concierge and had a conversation with ourselves. <clears throat> and we were like, we well, you know, like maybe they've got something on Friday. Like I doubt it because it's a Friday, but that's our anniversary. So we can go back and see. Um, and so then we walked back up to the concierge and said, hey, try Friday. And sure enough, we had dinner reservations for that Friday night. <clears throat> 
here's where it gets great. Concierge says, just come down here to the lobby. Um, there'll be a golf cart to pick you up to take you along the pathway to take you over to the restaurant. We go down that Friday night, we get on the golf cart, go over to the path, and when you get to the hotel, there was a gate. And when we pull up to the gate, the guards who are at the gate, as we're waiting for it to open, as we pass, they look at me and my husband and they say, happy anniversary, Mr. and Mrs. Simpson. We were like, Jeez. what just happened? We get to the front of the hotel there and they let us out, you know, at the lobby. And as we get out, a majority of the hotel employees, as we walk past, look at us and say, happy anniversary, Mr. and Mrs. Simpson. And like, we were freaking out. See, this was in 2005, 2005, and I still get chill bumps when I talk about it. Um, we sat down at the restaurant and when we did, they brought us personalized venues that had been printed that had happy anniversary. It had the date. It had our names on it. We had a personalized label on our bottle of wine. Now in 2005, that was a big deal. People print labels all the time right now, but that personalization was fantastic. The only thing that we can figure out is that the concierge overheard us and told them it was our anniversary and they made this all happen. I have no idea what I ate that night. No clue. And it doesn't even matter. All that matters is here I am 15 years later telling you the story and I still get chill bumps. Well, that is exactly why we wanted to start out with an icebreaker. It just leads to an unexpected direction, starts us off with lively and personal discussion and get a cool story just kind of before diving right into the material. And I know that's kind of what you do a lot with your classes. And that's a lot of the reason why you don't know who's going to have a cool story like that to share when you just ask a, you know, an innocuous question like, who's your favorite customer service experience or anything else like that can totally open up a, a fun avenue for getting to know people differently. Uh, but we do want to dive into it now, some of that. So we've referred to this class that you teach, entrepreneurship class management 386, I believe, at the University of Alabama. We want to start out asking when you took that class because you teach it now and you originally took it as a student. Can you tell us about where you were when you took that class and kind of start your journey there? Sure. Um... I didn't get to go to college undergrad as a traditional student. Um, my parents just couldn't afford to send me. So I worked my way through school. And as I was doing that, I would take night classes. And at the time, management was the only degree that was offered at night. So I took management classes. I was in management 386. And while I was doing that, one of the assignments was, it was an entrepreneurship class then, was to write a business plan. Well, my day job was selling heavy construction equipment. I was actually the first woman in the Southeast to sell heavy construction equipment. I sold truck hose, back hose, front end loaders, um, articulating dump trucks. And uh, I had gotten to know quite a bit about the construction industry. And so when he said, write a business plan, I always knew I was an entrepreneur and I wanted to own my own business, but I didn't know what. So I just decided, well, I'll just write a business plan for a construction company because that happens to be what I know. So I did. Um, I wrote it, turned it in, and when the professor gave it back to me, he was like, you know, Gina, this is good. Like, this is really good. And I was like, really? Um, and it was fortuitous because timing was great too. We were, um, I was with my husband then, and he was working on his college degree. He was working for his uncle at a construction company. And we were able to take that business plan and combine it with a lot of other wonderful little things that happened that makes the story too long. But 
we opened our first company while we were both undergrads. We used this business plan from 386 and opened up our construction company, which we had that did really well. We sold later and it spawned off several other companies for us. And we didn't know we were going to do this, but I guess we became serial entrepreneurs. Can you talk just a little bit about kind of what you did to take this company from a business plan on a piece of paper while taking night classes with the only degree that you can get in management to having like heavy equipment building buildings out in the real world? There's just such a big gap there. (laughs) Well, you don't do anything alone, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the big deal is we had another business partner that my husband had worked with and he was really good at certain parts of the company. I was really good at the business plan and office and logistics part of it. Um, And my husband is a civil engineer, so he was really good at other things. Um, That combined with, we had a lot of connections in the business and in the business world and construction. Um, But you know, the the funny thing about all this is like, we didn't have any money. So, when I started talking to my husband about all this, we're like, yeah, I mean, that's great to think about having a construction company, but we had no money, none. Um, but luckily, like we knew people who did. So um, there was a person that was in our network that we had worked with quite a bit who came on as our angel investor. And he came in, gave us all of the money to start the company. We didn't put in anything. We just put in all the hard work and all of our expertise Um, He put in all the money and we were able to buy him out completely about nine months later. Um, And it feels like, I guess when I say it out loud, it sounds like a big gap to go from a business planning class to a thriving business with an angel investor and then buying him out. But remember I was working full time and so was my husband and we were working full time in the construction industry. So it wasn't that big of a gap. This wasn't your last class either, right? Like you still had, were you still doing school while you were building this business? Oh yeah, we both were. Yes, yes. And uh, I I can't imagine that. While I was doing that too, I don't know. Ask a busy person to do something, you'll get it done. Yeah, I I can't imagine all the decision calculus that had to go into some of those days for you, you know, running a business, being in school. Were you still working your full-time job or no? For a while, for a while. That's incredible. That's incredible. So after... I guess ignorance is a superpower. Mm -hmm. You just, if you want to make it, you'll go for it. That's something that that Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, she has a really like powerful message about, you know, not knowing a lot about your industry can really be your greatest asset in terms of what you can, what you can create because you just, you don't know what rules you can't break, you know? Yeah. You, you have no idea what to be afraid of. Yes, ma'am. It's fantastic. So you, you build this company. It spawns into other companies. What happens next? What's the, you know, now you're a coach, you're, you're a professor. What happens like in the time between um, selling this business and, and today, I guess? Um, so, Wow. One of the interesting things is there are a few things in life I love. And one of those is being a student and continuous learning. So um, my husband and I both finished up our degrees at the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, while we were 
starting the company and the other companies. And actually, after I graduated undergrad, went on to start working on my PhD. So I really never stopped going to school through all of the businesses. Um, and so to take you on one side of the story, I never stopped going to school. And one of the really cool things that happened while I was working on my PhD is that I was able to be a TA or a teaching assistant. And when I was put into the classroom, first of all, I was scared to death. But then second thing that happened was that I fell in love. Like I love being in the classroom with the students and teaching and inspiring them and love that. And so I never wanted to stop that. The other thing that was happening was we were also, my husband and I were really very active with the businesses. Um, we opened a bicycle shop. We did, um, or I did, Villa City. And so I had two kind of things going simultaneously. I had my academic life and I had my entrepreneurial life. And those things happened simultaneously up until really, I guess, we decided to have children and then something had to go. So from there, uh, we stayed in the entrepreneurial world for a while and I left teaching for a little bit and school. Um, fast forward. So fast forward a little bit and our life was humming along really well. And you guys have hinted at some things that I want to touch on. Um, my husband and I were the stereotypical overachievers. We both are really happy when we're busy. We both have an unbelievable work ethic. Um, we like achieving and we were go, 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 going all of the time. There was always something happening. Um, we had our, our first daughter, Della, and that was going well. We decided to have a second child. And then all of a sudden, life came to a screeching halt. And our second child was born sick and she stayed, her name was Elise and she stayed in the hospital for six months and we were never able to bring her home. And reality set in. We had had a, a golden life. You know, we'd really had nothing go wrong. When you start at the bottom, you have nowhere to go but up. Um, so all of a sudden we kind of had to sit back and say, wow, what now? And, and we did. Um, I can't speak for him, but I personally sat back and was like, okay, is everything that we're doing really worth it? Really worth it in our lives? And while I love everything that we did, I realized that the most important thing in life was my family. And I wanted to spend more time with the daughter I did have. So I decided it was time to simplify downsize, do some different things. And so we started selling businesses. Um, and I really was fortunate to be in a position to say, what in all of the cool things that I've done in my life did I love most? And it was teaching and helping people. I knew I had to be back in the classroom. So that was what I did. I forged my way back over to the University of Alabama so that I could start teaching entrepreneurship uh, again. And that was a natural flow into coaching and doing entrepreneurial coaching. I really handle both the same way. Um, I'm instilling tools and confidence into my entrepreneurial students. And it's really the same thing in my coaching clients. So they naturally work together. And I never knew this was my dream job, but they both are. And I love them. And I'm super happy. Plus, I'm on an academic calendar. What's better than that? Does that help? First of all, thank you for sharing that. And yeah. 
you know, obviously I can't imagine uh, that kind of world shaking event in someone's life, but before you could instill in others a mindset, you know, I think yours had to be changed and that's probably what this event did for you, right? Your whole world changes, I imagine. So how do you think your own personal mindset changed from running those businesses to, you know, after, after that event in a way that you now feel like you need to instill that into other people? Hmm. Um, so interestingly, I don't think at the core that I've changed and, and think back to teaching, I realized how much passion I have for helping others. Um, and I thought, think back to my career, there's just something about being an entrepreneur that's natural for me. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, really awesome as I think about how my mindset changed. And what really changed is that I got to know myself better. It's really easy not to have to look inward when you're busy. Mm -hmm. um, as entrepreneurs, we tend to live in the future. We're always looking two steps ahead because we have to anticipate what's coming, right? So if I had to say, how did my mindset change the most? It was that I stopped trying to live in the future so much and started trying to be more present and live in the moment so that I could take what my true passion is at my core and helping and inspiring people who want to be entrepreneurs. Now, oh, that's a, a powerful kind of realization. And I think there's a lot of important uh, ideas there for living in the future. And I think a lot of people are prone to that way of thinking. And then when you actually do, whether you realize on your own that you need to rethink everything or whether there's some crazy external circumstance that forces you to have that analysis, it's, well, I it's think important for people. Go for it, Kyle. The, the problem is that when you get there, you're, you're still looking for the next the next thing. Like you're never... Uh, let's say we want to get 10,000 downloads per episode, Lewis, like when we get there, we'll be thinking about 30,000. And, and that's like the hard thing. Obviously we're not even, we're not even close to that, but we've just been talking about growth strategies. We'll for the podcast. After this yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it's just, it's so true that if you can't look around and like, you know, enjoy nature, I guess, is like a, a metaphor for just what you've built and what you've been able to do up to now then you'll never be able to be happy, you know? And I think I've heard you express that and, and it's like always hit me in the head, you know, cause pretty much I hear it now and I'm going to hear it again today. And then later on today, I'll be like, yeah, but what if this was this way? So do you have any tips for like, for, um, for living in the yeah, practicing that yeah. present state awareness type of stuff? can tell you what I do. I think it's different for every person. But mm -hmm. um, one thing that I do is I wake up every morning and I try to take some time to meditate. No more than 15 minutes because I don't have more than that really. But in, in that time, I try to really look inward and think of what is going to be uh, my intention for the day. And through that, I will set an intention for the day and I write it down. Um, some examples of intentions that I set for the day is um, to refine things, stop trying to fix things. In my mind, it's just, well, if I say I want to fix something, I'm implying it's broken. Most things aren't broken. Most things are just growing. So 
my intention is to refine, not fix. And so that as I go through the day, I'll stop and I'll think about what decision I'm making or the words I'm about to say. And am I refining this process or am I refining this person or am I trying to fix them? So that forces me to be present. It forces me to take stock of the decision in that moment. So I'll set my intention for the day. The other thing that I like to do is I like to decide how do I want to feel today? Mostly. Do I want to feel like I'm always chasing something or do I want to feel like I'm enjoying the moment? So I'll set my intention and I set my feelings for the day and then I run those through my head all day and it helps me to stop and to slow down and to be more present. And that's what works for me. I mean, that's fantastic. And kind of like Kyle mentioned, you have kind of had this process where you make these realizations or you learn these things yourself first, you know, through a life experience. And then, you know, because you have this platform as a coach and as a teacher, you get to share it with others and kind of rehearse the ideas and package them in a way that other people can understand. So another thing you've mentioned is just all of these are clear, big demonstrations of self-awareness. Uh, what is the importance of that? And how do you encourage people to foster that in, in productive ways? Uh. I think a keen self-awareness is probably one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves. Um, and, you know, self-awareness comes in two forms. There's personal self-awareness where I'm aware of who I am, how I react, my strengths, my weaknesses, my personality traits, um, how I'm showing up. Um, and then there's another side of self-awareness, which is the way that people perceive us. And if we, are fooling ourselves or lying to ourselves about who we are, or if we're lying to ourselves about the way that people perceive us, then there's absolutely no way that we can be successful in the long run. So in order to really be successful, we've got to know who we are. Um, I spend quite a bit of time uh, thinking about my strengths, my weaknesses, how I show up, what energy level I have. And, and I do that in such a way so that I take that and I apply that to what I consider my strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I mentioned earlier, you asked how could I, we start a company? I said, no one does it alone. Well, you have to build a team of people to be around you. And the best way to build a team of people to be around you is to know what you're really good at and to know what you're not good at so that you can surround yourself with people who are good at the things that you're not good at and that you're good at the things they're not good at so that you can start to prop each other up. Um, I like to tell my classes, it's like when you start thinking about building your support group, whether it's your friends or your spouse or your business team and partners, you always want one plus one to equal two. But if you don't know who you are and you just seem to be um, attracted to or compelled to go to people who are like you, then one plus one always equals one. And that's really not a game. Yeah, we want one plus one to equal three. You know what I mean? I like four. There you go. That's an <laughs> exponential return to scale. Yeah. Is it okay for me to say five? <laughs> you can say any number you want. It's all okay. Perfect. Yeah. So did that answer your question about self-awareness? Why I feel it's so important? Sure. So how that important, that answers the first half, which is, you know, the importance of it, but what do you actively encourage students to do uh, in addition to that team assembling aspect to kind of become more self-aware and learn to lean into their strengths and, you know, be more honest with themselves and more accurate 
the first thing that I do with students, and a lot of times this is the first time they've really ever been exposed to anything like this, where they really have to start to articulate or put down in words who you are. Um, and I start really simply with just like a personal SWOT analysis. Um, you guys in the business school learn how to do a SWOT analysis for businesses, but I take it back to the individual level and let's sit down and let's start thinking about where are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. Um, and that's one of the first things that we do. So um, after they do that, then I take them to the next step, which is, well, let's write a personal value proposition. And what's really going to happen in life is there, you as entrepreneurs, students, we all have to position ourselves in life to be successful. So if I can't tell you what I have to offer that makes me better than the people who are around me, if I can't tell you that and, and then back it up with who I am, then I can't sell myself. So those are two really easy ways that we start. And then we can also take those principles and apply them to a business. But looking at your own strengths and weaknesses, looking at your um, trying to write your personal value proposition is a really good one. A lot of students have a hard time with that. Um, and then other things that I do is I ask people to pay attention to what gets on your nerves, like really pay attention to it because 99% of the time, if something gets on your nerves, it's because that component of something about that is inside you too. Yeah, I can attest to that for sure. Um, I'm sorry, there's some landscaping. It's distracting me. But something you touched on there is like anyone can be successful with the right tools. And like if you have the ability to say what that value is, if you know what your value is, your strengths, then you can properly communicate it and, and execute on that. And, and one of your core beliefs is that anyone can be successful given the right tools and, um, you know, the right circumstances. But why, why do you believe that? What, do you have an example of, of having seen that come true? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I do believe anybody can be successful. And that comes from, first of all, from my own story. I, you know, I grew up in a really small town. Um, I'm a first generation college student. Uh, I come from a really humble background. And if I could do it, anybody could do it. And I look around, we're all made the same. We all have the same intelligent, I mean, that's just, we're all intelligent beings. And I think the difference comes in with, number one, did anyone believe in you and teach you to believe in yourself? And then did they give you the tools to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve? Because success is defined differently by different people. But yes, if someone believes in you, and you trust them, and then you begin to believe in yourself, and you're given the right tools, anybody can do anything. I refuse to look around the world and say, that person, no, lost cause, that person lost cause. Um, and I will tell you this, this is one of these personal things, and it's like, people are going to go, when you talk about what gets on our nerves, because there's some component of it inside us, um, one of the things that really drives me crazy are name droppers. And the reason that name droppers drive me crazy is because implicitly what they are saying is the names I've dropped of those people are more important than anyone else. 
So if I was going to be a name dropper, I would drop the names of people that no one's ever heard of that are super successful because anybody can do it. I like that message for sure. Is, does that mean that you have some name dropper, uh, name dropping, um, what is the word that you do that sometimes? And that's why you're, you don't like it so much. Um, I'm surrounded with a lot of people who do it <laughs> and then, <laughs> but I think it is more of a, gosh, we could get lost in what it is about me that makes that get on my nerves, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we need to do that. <laughs> so the second half of that equation is, you know, belief in yourself. The other half is, or the first half is belief in yourself and having, you know, that come from internal resources and having that come from an external support system that, you know, props up that belief. But the second half is the toolkit. And that's kind of where the practical side of this comes in. So I want to ask you about some of the most important tools in the toolkit. Uh, maybe we could start with bounded rationale. I know that's a really popular one. You like to explain that I think is really, really helpful for people to kind of, as an entrepreneur, have that idea in your head to propel your success. Could you explain that for the listeners? I can, I can. Um, so there's a theory out there called the theory of bounded rationale. And it's actually um, concerned with decision-making and how we make decisions. It's a really complex theory. And I tend to grab a couple of components of it and talk about those to help people build their confidence. Um, and the, the couple of things that I pull out, and I'll, it's easier if you visualize this. So visualize on a piece of paper, you drew a stick figure. That stick figure is you. Now draw a big circle around that stick figure. Everything inside that circle, there you go. Everything inside that circle is everything that you know. That's it. And everything that you know is based on two things, time and your experiences. Your experiences can include a lot of things, your educational background, um, your family, the values they instill in you and things they teach you, the culture you're surrounded with, um, where you grew up. So experiences are a lot of things. And then the other component of that is time. Um, you've only been alive a certain amount of time, so you can only know a certain amount of things, which is why they say the older you get, the wiser you get. That's because you've had more time, more info inside that bounded rationale. Well, this was a super eye-opening concept for me. And the, the reason that I bring this in is because if that's a circle and that's all I can know, then everything outside that circle is what I don't know. And every that gave me the confidence at that point to say, oh my gosh, it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay. That just means that whatever the answer is to that question has not been one of my experiences yet, or I haven't lived long enough to know the answer to that. And it's okay to say, I don't know. The other thing it taught me is that everyone's information is going to be different because nobody lives exactly the same life. No one. So there's different information inside the bounded rationale. That means people know different things, but that does not mean that anyone is smarter than anyone else. That just means your bounded rationale is different than mine. And so what's key in all of that is to start to really, and this gets back to self-awareness, is to understand kind of what's in yours and what you know, 
and what you don't know so that you can start to find other people that match up with you. So it's about strengths, weaknesses, personality traits, um, behaviors, and skill sets, and we can match up and make a better team. So I love the theory of bounded rationale for building confidence. There's so many people out there, especially aspiring entrepreneurs, who feel ashamed to say, I don't know something, because you feel like you're supposed to know it. Or you feel dumb, like, oh my God, somebody asked me that question. If they ask me, I feel like I'm supposed to know it. Um, and you're not always, and it's okay if you don't. I love that. And Kyle's usually the one to make kind of fun analogies on the podcast. He has one he likes to make about real estate and gravity and planets. But I've kind of been playing with one uh, recently about kind of the same idea of like knowledge where, you know, it's if you had like a table or like a map right? Of like the world's information and like important ideas and important things to understand. And it's like, it starts out all black. And so you're just like a dot in the center of that map. And you have this small radius of white, which is like, you know, uncovering the map. And then the goal obviously to be successful or to start a business requires uncovering different pieces of that map. And it's just a process of continually whiting out or like, you know, unobscuring the map via, you know, educating yourself, taking college classes, partnering with someone who has another the right top corner of the map completely unlocked already. And just by forming that partnership, you know, you're uncovering and it's a matter of, you know, finding the places that you need to uncover and the places that you don't have in yours and just growing your bounded rationale till, till it covers it all. And I think that is such a useful conceptual framework for making everything more digestible and less intimidating. Uh, just, I can either expose myself to that piece of the map that I don't have the answers to through mm -hmm. a person, right? That's, I think, a huge way that Kyle and I are big believers is a, a force multiplier, a way to accelerate your ability to do that because you could spend hours and hours trying yourself or you could just track down someone who's an expert at it and ask fo focused, targeted questions. Or you could, you know, take a class, read a book, watch a video, whatever else, right. and just move yourself towards the right direction. So I love that. Yes, that's it. You've got the concept exactly. It's wonderful. Um, it's, it was a, it's a huge weight off your shoulders, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. and I think that there's something missing <clears throat> here, though, and that is the ability to um, give your, like, you're the person that's being found. You have the top right corner. And how do you express yourself? How do you show that person that you, you've unlocked this corner of the map? And I think that comes with pitching, right, where you not just pitching a business idea, but pitching yourself, you know, selling yourself all the time. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, you teach a lot about pitching and mm -hmm. pitching yourself, pitching a business. Can you, can you expand on, on the big five of pitching that, that framework that you use to teach kids about that? I can. And the one thing that I want to back up and say is as we talk about all this, um, if somebody's not an entrepreneur, I don't want them to tune out on the things that we talk about because the tools that, um, we learn are things that can be adapted and used in any part of your life. So when so we my next about, question, I was going to ask, how do we apply these to other areas? But so let's, let's talk about it all together. It let's do it. Um, so it's really interesting and it gets back to what I was talking about. So if we're looking at um, everything we know, what we don't know and our bounded rationale, and we know that we need to go out and we need to get some team members. Um, we need to build that a team so we can be successful. How do we go out and find people? And then also, how do we market ourselves? Well, the first way that you can market yourself is by doing that personal value proposition. You have to know what people need. 
And before we get into pitching, I want to say one other thing that is important in the entrepreneurial toolkit and in the life toolkit, because this leads directly into the ability to pitch well. And that is that if you want to be really, really successful, you've got to practice two skills and you've got to get these down pat. The first one is you have to learn how to listen, not just hear, but really listen. I call it listening between the lines. So people always know what it means when you say read between the lines. It's about getting the inferred meaning behind what they were saying. We have to learn how to listen that way as well. You have to learn to try to infer what people's body language is and what they're trying to tell you through their body language. And, and really this gets into the next step. In order to do that well, you have to practice empathy. So you've got to be able to put yourself in their shoes, detach yourself. Um, mindfulness is a thing that I, I love and it's about like a, it's emotionally detaching yourself from the situation so that you can observe. So if you can do that and have empathy, then you can really start to figure out what the other person is needing. So many times in life, we get so worried about marketing who we are and what we have to offer that we forget to listen to what people need. And the whole key in being successful in business or in life is that you need to exist to solve other people's problems. But if you don't have empathy or put yourself into their shoes, and if you don't listen between the lines, you have no idea what pains they're feeling or the solutions that they value. So this is key. Um, once we do that, and you can use this in any aspect of your life, whether it's applying for a job, what company you're applying for, what problems do they need solved? Or you're going out to find your significant other. You know, you're sitting there talking to them and you, you want to listen to find out what's important to them. Can you meet the bill? Can you fill those gaps for them? And in business and in pitching, you've got to know your audience. So in knowing that audience and what problem they need solved and putting it really all about them instead of about yourself, then it doesn't matter what you have to offer. If they think you understand them, you're in. And then you can start to talk about the big five of pitching. So the big five, every good pitch, Shark Tank, wherever you go, River Pitch, has five main components. That first component is the big pain. What is the problem that needs to be solved? But you can never get to number one if you can't listen and have empathy. So number one, what is the big pain? We usually try to start out strong in a pitch. You have about five seconds to grab people's attention. If you don't grab it then, um, you're gone. First impressions are everything. So you get about five seconds to touch them emotionally, which is where empathy comes in, and to grab them. That's your hook. So let's tell a story that they relate to, not that I love to tell, that they relate to so that we can grab them. And in that story, we're going to identify the problem and the pain to be solved. Once we do that, then we get to the second part. Second part is, what's your brilliant solution? This is your value proposition. What are you bringing to the table? Whether it's your significant other, a business pitch, or a job interview. What is your big solution? The third part is differentiation. 
And that is when we actually name our competitors and dismiss them. Um, we do that for a few reasons. First of all, if we say our competitors' names, it psychologically displays confidence. We're not afraid of them. And then we professionally dismiss them. I know they exist, but they do X, Y, Z, while I offer ABC, a professional dismissal. It also shows we've done our homework. Then you need to follow it up by something really, really important. And this is where you put your personal sales pitch in. And that is the why you. Now, I've been really fortunate to be a judge in lots of business plan competitions, um, in just typical pitch competitions, and an angel investor myself. And I can tell you that this next part is key, and that is why you. This is when you let us know why we trust that you can get this done. Because it might be the best idea in the whole wide world, but if I don't believe in you, you're dead in the water. But it can be a mediocre idea, but if I buy into you, I'm in. Because I and most others in my, my shoes, we believe in people way more than we believe in ideas. Ideas morph over time. Um, so you've got to really have a very strong value proposition. Why you? And then we follow it up with the call to action. This is where I see a lot of people fall off. A lot of people are afraid to make the ask. And they assume, oh, they're going to, they know if I'm making a pitch that, like, I want money. They know, like, if I'm making a pitch, I need somebody to be on my team. Don't ever assume anything in business, ever. It's a, a fatal flaw. So you have to be specific and you have to make the ask. I'm asking you to believe in me and be on my team because I can bring you ABC while you're really good at the EF. So we do those five things. We're going to knock it out of the ballpark every time, as long as we do it in a really charismatic and fun way. Well, you just took like five of our questions and sequenced them all together into this beautiful answer explaining how to empathize with people and how you shouldn't even think about pitching until you, you know, you show up and actually are aware of the problem and aware of the solution at an emotional level and in a contextualized level and how it's really not even worth trying until you're at that point. I mean, you know, there's usefulness in practicing and being a confident public speaker and pitching and stuff, mm -hmm. but your expectation of positive outcomes should probably be lower until you've actually done your homework on the prerequisite steps and built a strong foundation and understanding of the, the topic at hand. Uh, but Kyle, do you want to ask now the question question? You're muted again. Sorry, the, the landscaping, I forget. But uh, sure, the concept of, of questions. And, and I think that that five, you know, you're answering questions throughout. Why me? Like, what is it about my solution that's good? What do I need? And that's been an important concept to Lewis and I throughout this entire process of, of making our podcast is just the power of asking good questions like a good icebreaker. It just, it really sets the scene. And, you know, that's like how I got started on, um, on this path with entrepreneurship it was through the edge with an idea about uh, an app for asking good questions. Mm -hmm. um, but, but one question I want to ask you is what question do you wish entrepreneurs would ask that they never do? I think the main thing that I wish that they would ask in the beginning and they typically get there. But the one thing I wish that they asked me, first of all, would be, what do you think it is that I'm afraid of 
that's holding me back. So it's not just leaving them to uncover their limiting beliefs on their own. It's uh, just taking the bold step to have someone else uncover that self-awareness for you. Yeah. Um, that's huge. Yeah. I wish that they, they were there and very few are, but most people don't have any idea what they're truly afraid of. I mean, everybody's afraid of the surface level things. Everybody's afraid of losing money. Everybody's afraid of um, failure. Everybody's afraid of, oh, my reputation. You know, those are very surface level things that are pretty common with entrepreneurs. I wish that people would ask what they're really afraid of. Yeah, I really like Tim. Sorry. No, go ahead. I really like Tim Ferriss's framework for fear setting, where instead of setting goals, you talk about like what the worst case scenario is in a lot of the areas of your life. And then, you know, realizing that like, it's just not that bad. Like the worst that could happen to me just isn't that bad. And that's like a piece of a philosophy like stoicism that, you know, in past times people would just like live on the street for, for a day or a week just to realize that everything that they have, like their fears that are holding them back. Like, it's just, it doesn't really matter that much. Like, the worst case scenario isn't that bad and you should shoot for the stars because of it. It's true. It's true. They make money every day, every day. Like really they make it every day. So what if you lose it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go get some more. <laughs> Who would be a good person to ask that question? What do you mean? Uh, so say I like, I'm like realizing that's a really good question. I would like to learn that. Who should I go to, uh, to give me a, a good, honest, useful answer there? A good, a really good business coach. <laughs> and I know that, I, I, of course, there's me, but truthfully, you know, coaches um, are really good at helping you peel back the layers of the onion. The answer's inside you. The answer's not inside me. I never give people the answer. I don't know the answer. Instead, I answer them with questions that help peel back the layers of the onion until they You listen them. and you have empathy. I do until they can truly identify what their real fears are. That is, that is many layered. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say, and it does take a little while to peel them back because typically the limiting beliefs we have come from, you know, a lot of them come from childhood and things that we experienced as we were growing up and belief systems that were instilled in us that we really aren't even consciously aware of and things that we're afraid of. So it just takes a little while, but coaches are professional question askers. There you go. I think, I think podcasters are a close second maybe for, for <laughs> professional question askers or at least interview podcasts. I believe it takes practice. It, it takes does. practice for sure. Yeah. Uh, so we want to transition out still on the topic of questions, which is, I guess, always the topic of conversation at a podcast. Never <laughs> isn't about questions. Uh, the bonus round, some less structured, less narrative-based questions about quick fire. Uh, so obviously we started out with your story, taking 386 and launching a successful business based on the plan you created in that class. Uh, but do you have a favorite student success story of someone who had a similar path? They started a business or an idea was birthed in that class and it's led to something pretty cool. A favorite. Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Just one um, that comes to mind. There's some, you know, well, they can be in the top say, 10. I've got, I've got no particular that. order. Yeah. Um, I hope to like get my former students. I love to stay in touch with all of my former students. 
Um, and I hope to share this podcast with them. So I don't want you to put me on the spot so that they all know who my favorite is. Top 10 and no favorite <laughs> order. Just a couple of, you know, randomly drawn from the deck of amazing student success stories. We picked one out of the middle and this is the one you're just choosing to talk about. There's one that's happening right now that is touching my heart like no other. Um, the student is, oh, okay. So this student worked at a coffee shop and while I was working at the coffee shop, completely fell in love with the whole process. Um, loves coffee, loves being a barista, um, always kind of ha has the entrepreneurship bug. I've seen it um, and decided, well, it would be really cool if I had a coffee shop like this of my own. And he and his brother and dad started the process to open this coffee shop. Um, as they're going through the process, and this is all happening right now, uh, he hasn't quite got it open yet, but it's super close. Um, earlier this year, they unexpectedly and tragically lost their dad. So it kind of put things on hold, but true entrepreneurship style, resilience and persistence kicked in and they have picked up the pieces they've regrouped and are about to open their coffee shop and they're doing it all because they love it and now they're also doing it in honor of their dad so that's one of my that one's touching my heart the most right now it's pretty fantastic so i love that one um i love your story you guys i've so I've seen you, I feel like I'm watching y'all grow up, you know, from the first time that we met to some of the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial ideas that you had and things you're pursuing to see where you are right now is unbelievable. And makes me like so super proud. You guys are out there like expanding your bounded rationale with the experts in the entrepreneurial world. Um, and it, what's so fun to me is like, you still have no idea how big this is going to be for you and everything you're learning. You still have no clue. And it's going to be like, you guys are going to just blow up. I love it. So I love your story too. Well, I definitely appreciate that. And, uh, you know, that means a lot to, to Lewis and I, for sure. I think that that's a big reason why we chose a podcast is just because you know, you don't really know what's going to come from it. It's just kind of a, a machine for uh, serendipity, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we both love having conversations. So we're going to continue to do this. And, and hopefully that prediction, that prediction comes through. Um, it's, it is a, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm glad you think so. That but does. when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind and why? Mm. This is going to sound cliche, but Oprah. <laughs> you know, it's not cliche if it's, it's the first time cliche. it's been asked. That's been the answer on our podcast. So, is it the first the time? Yes. Uh. Elon Musk would be the new cliche, probably. Mm -hmm. Well, Oprah, if you know her story in the least, she is an African American woman that grew up in the South, in Mississippi, in the midst of civil unrest broken home, molested as a child by a family member, had a child that she lost, um, and persisted and overcame to be a one-word woman, Oprah. Um, if anybody can be successful, look at her. I mean, she just is like the epitome of the philosophy that I believe. 
she overcame all kinds of things to be Oprah. I really like that concept of the of the one one word brand and like yeah. it's true like her Trump Kanye like the they've just got gigantic one word brands that's that's a really cool concept I'm gonna steal that in the future yeah that's awesome <laughs> I think there's this actor amateur his name is Lewis Kyle uh, <laughs> and he's still winning sometimes on Google Images if you look up Lewis and Kyle Lewis uh-huh. Kyle comes up. Uh, yeah. So our, our initial bar of what we need to reach to achieve success with this podcast is winning all of the Google image results and beating out Lewis Kyle at the combination of Lewis and Kyle. You can do it. You can. <laughs> Y'all are going to be like, just stay Lewis and Kyle. You know, there's some people that you always just say their first name and last name and you don't know why, but when you call, when you talk to them, everybody calls them their first and last name. Mm-hmm. Then that's going to kind of be what you are. Lewis and Kyle, Lewis and Kyle. Everybody will know it goes together and it will have the and in there. No, we're not going to merge. That would be too much. <laughs> no Benifer or any of that stuff. I don't know how we'd do that. Uh, it's too, much, too much chaos in my brain <laughs> yeah. for that. Lewis is, Lewis is too crazy for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, All right, so I have another question that we like to ask. Uh, what is something that amazes you every time you think of it? A fact, an idea, a concept? The thing that amazes Continual me, fascination. Humans, we are unbelievable. Our brain, when I think about the things that we can do and that we do, it is unreal. And to know that like there's nothing else on our planet and we haven't found anything else in the universe yet that are like us. We are intelligent beings and we make decisions all day, every day to do great things and to progress and to grow. It's just, um, I love to talk to people. And that's one of the things like when I'm coaching or with my students that I love to just sit there and kind of like, I wish I could just watch the way that your brains work. Um, it amazes me that we have the ability to do all this. So we're even just sitting here thinking and talking about it. I love it. Or the fact that we're not actually sitting here and this is a product of someone's brain or a collection of brains to put together uh, something to where we can talk to each other in, in real time via like the air, I guess. <laughs> invisible, unexplained. I mean, not unexplained, but invisible, completely abstracted from how it works to us. Just how cool is that? Seamless conversation. Even though we, I think we're all in the same city right now, but you know, that's fine. Um, uh, next question here. Uh, other than empathy and listening, what habit is most important for aspiring entrepreneurs to start doing? Self-care. Quick answer. Hands down, self-care. Um, you've got to keep yourself healthy. You got to keep yourself healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You've got to do it. Um, you cannot give something that you don't have, whether it's a drink of water or love or confidence or a solution. If you don't have it within yourself, then you're fooling yourself to think that you can effectively give it to others. So it has to start with self-care. I love that. I think Kyle and I are both passionate about that topic as well. And that's kind of why we have that miscellaneous third category, at least how we've branded the podcast up until this point of, you know, entrepreneurship, real estate, and then just general health and wellness and fitness. Cause I think stories of athletes or people who are incredibly well-versed in nutrition or 
know a ton about supplementation or something like that are important because we value that. And it's a piece of the puzzle and real estate entrepreneurship. Again, it's like what you're saying with, with the pitching, uh, none of this conversation matters if you don't have energy, if you don't feel good most days of the week, if you're not taking care of yourself or if you're, you know, teetering on the edge of collapse, uh, you, you don't have the capacity to build a team or to have a successful pitch or to make anyone want to believe in you. If you look like you're going to collapse out of hunger, uh, at the river pitch or whatever it is virtual or in person. So I love that answer. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a personal story about, about that. It was like Aldag my freshman year, I guess. And looking back, I'm just so like, not ashamed, but it's just so like, I was just sitting there on my phone. I like, as in a bad mood, it was just so not what I needed to be doing. And I, I think it's from what you're talking about with self-care, just like, I must, like, I think I had a test earlier and I was just like down on myself for no reason. And um, learning that has helped me to, um, you know, get better at that for sure. And be energetic for these podcasts and be ready to have a, a long conversation. And, and yeah, um, it was just a little personal anecdote, but on to next question. What, um, uh, what are your favorite books or book? That's, that's kind of a big question. I don't really like to ask it like that because it's so broad, but uh, we'll stick with that one for this episode. Okay. Um, if you guys haven't read this book, you need to, because I know you too. One of my favorites is Stretch by Scott Sunshine. It's a great one. It talks about the difference in being a chaser or a stretcher. Um, and I heard Kyle being a chaser a little earlier when he talked about going from, well, when we get 10,000 followers, we're going to rate 30,000. And that revolves around if you're constantly chasing, you never take time to be content or grateful for what you have. And the most resourceful people are the people who can do more with less. And that's about stretching. So be grateful for what you have, do more with less. And over time, you'll be more content because you're not always chasing. So it's a great book. You should read that one. Um, another one, there's a couple of others that I truly love. I love The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. And I, I identify with her so much. She's a super successful introvert who is just happiest when she is sitting at her desk working. And honestly, that's me too. Um, so one year she made her say yes to all invitations, whether it was a dinner party or a date or, um, and she's hysterical. So the book's really funny, but that spoke to me. So I kind of emulated that and made myself get out and do more. So that's a good one. And the other one, oh, this was a good one. This one's new. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. It, it, it's wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm is, not going to tell you about it. Go read it. Is Shonda Rhimes the woman who made Scandal and yes, those yeah. other shows? Mm -hmm. She had one night. It was like ABC, you know, the, the giant television network. They dedicated a full three hours of like, I think it was Thursday night to, sh to air all three of her shows that were running concurrently, uh, like the new episode. And it turned into like the biggest. Um, she owned like, Thursday night on TV forever. Owned that's it. insane that, yeah. uh, it, obviously there's something to saying yes to things a lot because she really really ended up being ultra successful in, in the world that she was trying to break into yeah she's very inspiring very inspiring 
Well, speaking of inspiring people, I mean, people who watch on YouTube might know that I drink like 25 glasses of water in every single episode. And in this episode, you're drinking out of what looked like a Wonder Woman mug. And I know you're a huge Wonder Woman fan. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what, why that is and the significance and what you kind of learned from her as a figure. <laughs> um, you know, I do love Wonder Woman. Um, and I have loved Wonder Woman since I was young, like way even too young to remember. So it's something internally in me. I, I love the original Linda Carter Wonder Woman since I was three or four and um, have remained a fan even through all of the changes, the new Wonder Woman. I'm still waiting on 1984. I'm ready for it. Um, why do I love Wonder Woman? I love her because first of all, she's just really kind and generous and she's always fighting for social justice. And I love that. Um, always taking care of the underdog and being completely generous with her time and all her skills. And she's a complete, can I cuss? Yeah. <laughs> she's a complete badass, a complete badass that is kind, generous, fighting for social justice. And she looks unbelievably gorgeous the whole time she does it. And that's my, my hero. I want to do that too. I want to fight for social justice and just be a badass and look awesome while I'm doing it. <laughs> that's Kyle, awesome. we should get, let's get Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot. I don't know how to say it properly. I should learn before we ask on the podcast. we got to do it. Uh, okay. Let's do it. Um, Maybe we'll have we'll have Miss Gina be a, a guest interviewer, a co-anchor. Yeah. If you don't, I would I would cry. I would be so disappointed. <laughs> um, so disappointed. Well, this has been a great interview. I think we've got one last question for you, and it's just like, where can people find you? How how do you think people can interact with with you in the future? Um, you know, learn from you, etc. Um, the best way to find me is uh, email me, and you can find that link on my website. My personal coaching company is salunastrategies.com, spelled S-O-L-U-N-A, Saluna Strategies. And then my contact info is on there. Or you could also find me on LinkedIn. It's a great place to connect with me um, at Gina Simpson. And I love to connect with people. I love to answer questions. I love to ask questions. And would love to help empower you to be the successful person that you're meant to be. Yeah, that's great. That. Well, I think I have, I want to end with a question. Yeah. Okay. Totally. Cause I'm going to ask you guys questions. Perfect. Um, top of <laughs> your head. To it. Top of your head. What's the, what's one thing you learned today while we were talking? One, um, just one. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Kyle. I, I got something loaded up. So. Well, no, you go first, Lewis. You're, you're okay. loaded up. Well, I'm a compulsive note taker for sure. So I'm kind of cheating here where I'm not drawing this from memory. I'm just looking at the notes I took and being like, seeing what resonated. Uh, really what I most enjoy about doing these podcasts and what I find most uh, impactful for me is kind of the idea of repetition where I think, you know, so many guests, there's a common theme among the stories that they tell or among the, the ideas that they're passionate about and the, the tools they believe are important and the beliefs that they believe are important. And a lot of people, you know, ask me why I love rereading books or why I like reading, you know, books on the same topic is because for me, you know, an idea like that or a mindset or a belief, you hear it once and you don't internalize it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that needs to be hit over the head with the same idea, the same lesson over and over and over again. And eventually I start to get the pattern. And I think from doing this podcast and talking to a number of successful people who have similar stories, different stories, 
you know, there's common threads. And I think in every episode, you know, there's one idea that I've finally heard for that nth time, that seventh, eighth, ninth time, where I'm actually like, okay, I think this is, you know, integrating into my subconscious as to like, you know, this is how the world works. And I think some examples of things you brought up that have just been brought up over and over again that I'm really starting to internalize in a more meaningful way are bottlenecks, for example. That's something you brought up, you know, you didn't use that word, but just if you're not focused on solving real problems or if you're not listening to people be authentic and you're not a deep listener and you're not hearing, you know, them truly share their struggles and truly share their, their actual problems they're facing, you know, mm-hmm. that's a key step to actually creating a business that provides value. That's, that's a huge one. Uh, and then I think also just the importance of listening and uh, thinking from the other person's perspective. That's a huge backdrop idea kind of principle that goes through a lot of the advice that you shared, so, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about what would another investor think or what is going on in this other person's head right now. Just, I think that is just truly a secret key to being more effective at everything in any situation. Like you said, on a date with a partner, like, is it, okay, what is this person actively looking for? Can I fill those gaps? I think that's more or less how you explained it. And I think, you know, what is this investor in front of me going to want to see me present to them and modifying your presentation based off of that. And that's just a huge idea that I love hearing repeated to get myself to believe it more strongly and become more of a thorough habit to actually approach situations in that way. So long, long winded answer, but there we go. That's great. That's fantastic. That's why I take notes. It's right there. Well, I took notes too. I don't take them as um, organized as Lewis does. Um, I would say to reiterate a point that he made is just the prerequisite of having to listen and be empathetic before you can solve a problem is it really contextualizes entrepreneurship into more of an art to me than just it being like technical steps. Like I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then I'm going to be successful. I'm going to pitch you know, each. I'm going to make 10 articles. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's much more of an art. There, there's, there are personal touches that you have to add in order for it to be successful. And then I would say the next thing, and then this is something that I've thought about a lot actually recently. And I think probably it's the biggest takeaway um, that I have had from all of the conversations um, mm-hmm. in, in aggregate. And that's just that, the importance of knowing where you want to go and what you want to do um, and the ability to communicate that effectively is a um, like superpower or like ultra key, I think, to, to life where like, if I want to go into real estate and I tell people that, and I I articulate exactly where I want to be in that field, the probability that I accomplished that goal goes up a thousand. I mean, I don't even know what multiplier, any multiplier you could put on it. It's just so much more likely to happen. And that's something that I've been encouraging people to, um, to take up. Like, like most of the times if you ask someone what they want to do, they'll be like, you know, I want to be a salesman, but I don't really know. Cause like, I'm not that good at speaking. And I'm like, you got to drop the part where you totally yeah. self-deprecate. Like that's so point, like that's not helping your cause at all. Like if you're not sure you want to do it, it doesn't really matter because you can change, but be confident in your answer because the, the um, benefits that you get out of communicating that effectively are it's like a serendipity mission it's just 
you don't know what good can come from it. And if you don't, no good will come from it. So I think a lot of that is kind of built into, you know, what we talked about today from present state awareness to, um, to self-awareness to, to all of it. You know, it's just that you have to know what you want in order to uh, get there. What if you don't know what you want yet? See, well, I've, I've, I've I think you here. fake it. You, you fake it. You literally fake so it. I have a different answer. So we'll get on like discovery calls with guests, you know, before the show and they'll be mm-hmm. like, introduce yourselves, whatever. And Kyle will be like, you know, when I'm 35, I want to have this number of apartment units and like, I want the bedrooms and the bathrooms and like all these, you know, details that he's already thought out and like great specificity. Uh, and so what I've kind of learned is being, you can just, if you get a little bit more general about what it is you want to do, since my answer is less defined, but I can be very confident in the less defined answer, or I just give a bigger answer, but I'm very confident. I say, I don't totally know what I want to do but I know I want to do some combination of podcasting, writing nonfiction, yeah. m- making content. Like that's not a specific answer, but I'm confident that I want to do something at the intersection of marketing, technology, content creation. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's not as good of an answer as I want to own this many apartment units in this city by the time I'm at this age, but it's still, I'm confident that this is the plan and the direction and the details are going to work themselves out. Uh, I'll give into the fact that specificity is less important than confidence in the point that I'm trying to make. I I just think that you're leaving so much on the table if you answer that question with a negative vibe. And that's kind of the, yeah. Like your sales friend could say, you know, I'm not entirely sure what, but I do want to do sales and just leave it Mm -hmm. there. And that would be a much better pitch. Exactly. So that is what we learned from your podcast. (laughs) But (laughs) You you're know, right. Okay, so Kyle, you're right. Clarity is key. Clarity. Um, that, there's the clarity word there. is key. The most, most of the time, if people are stuck, um, it's because they don't have clear expectations of where it is they're going. And the thing that was fantastic, and the reason I ask you about, like, what if you don't know? Um, sometimes people don't, but everybody knows what they don't want. Yeah. I like it's a starting that. point. Yeah. So write down everything you don't want. I like that a lot. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. That's all. Well, guys, that was fantastic. I have to finish up with a question because like it gives me so much energy to like hear you guys get excited talking about the entrepreneurial process and all the things that you guys do. I love that. So that was purely selfish on my side so that you could fill up my energy well so that I can be great to go for the rest of the day. Well, we're happy to have accomplished that. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of good ideas in this episode for us to unpack. You know, we're going to have to go back and, and listen to it again from listening between the lines. We're going to have to listen to it between the lines. Uh, you know, the theory of bounded rationale, how to pitch the big five. Um, uh, Lost a little bit, a little bit of connection there. Anyways, thank you so much for coming on <laughs> the podcast with us today, Julia. Guys, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for asking me. I was completely honored that you asked me to be one of the guests because you guys have had some fantastic guests. So I'm so honored to be included. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy to have you on. Yes, ma'am. That wraps up our interview with Gina. Um, you know, it was, it was really good to talk to her. And I'm going to go through a few of my takeaways from the conversation um, so I think really the, the craziest thing about that story to me is the, the narrative of going from being a part of a, a night class at, uh, the university of Alabama in management 386, taking what she applied from that class 
and then creating a multi-million dollar business and then coming back and teaching students. And, you know, you hear about stuff like that in the movies. So it's just insane to, to hear talk about that. And then as you'll hear in the interview or as you heard in the interview, there's a, a very big shift that she underwent going from kind of caring about external success uh, to caring about internal success and, and where she was at in the world and, and why she was doing what she was doing. And I think she came to this point where she was focused more on people and, and helping other people to reach their potential. And, and that's really what she's passionate about now and kind of the thing that, you know, she's focused on with her professional coaching business and with teaching. It's all about instilling in others the, the values, the principles that she used to get to where uh, she got with, with in business and in happiness and in life today. Um, so overall, I mean, incredible. I always love hearing from Gina. Lewis, what do you think? Yeah, I like your concept there about the movies. I thought that was fun. Uh, I have three takeaways here. Uh, first one is one about the importance of kind of the soft content, soft concepts that often get overlooked or made fun of, like self-awareness and belief. They kind of sound like these fuzzy things. But I think Gina does a really good job of contextualizing them in a practical way, how they're important, how to actually, you know, not just what does self-awareness mean, how do I write about myself, but, you know, strengths and weakness analysis, like things that you would think are just for a business, applying them personally and how useful that can be. And then also how critical, you know, belief in yourself and having someone else believe in you is for your business success. I was actually out to lunch today uh, with a student who we've participated in entrepreneurship programs with Gina in. And he had mentioned to me that he thinks the reason his business failed looking back and that he, you know, stopped that project in hindsight was that he stopped to believe in it. And he cited that as kind of the moment when he realized things started going down. He started letting go of decision-making authority, let it fall off track his original vision. And it was that once he stopped believing in it, like there was no hope. And it was just a matter of time for the consequences of that to eventually put him underground. Uh, so super important. Uh, if you don't believe in your business, I don't believe it's going to work. Uh, number two, one plus one equals two or more, or the, the importance of making sure that that is true in your, in your circumstances. If you are always surrounding yourself with people with the same skill set, the same abilities, the same interests, the same reading lists, it's pretty much just like too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Like you're not, the combination of the two of you on one project is not much more brain power than the combination of the two of you on one project. Whereas if you bring together a group of completely different people, you're going to have a greater sum of knowledge and a greater probability for interesting combinations of ideas and lead to a more interesting outcome. I also think this is true, maybe for Kyle and I on the podcast, with the importance of bringing up different guests. You know, we asked in that one of the last questions in the bonus round, when you think of the word success, who's the first person that comes to mind? And maybe the fact that we get Elon Musk over and over and over again is some signal that we could bring on guests that see the world a little bit differently. As cool as Elon is, uh, getting the same answer to a fairly open-ended question probably means we're bringing on similar people. Uh, so I think bringing someone on like Gina and hearing about Oprah is a good signal that one plus one equals more than two, the more people you bring on and the more different that they are. Third and final takeaway is one I've given a couple of times now, especially I ranted about it in episode number 26, 25 lessons from 25 episodes, is the importance and the coolness and whatever you wanna call it of developing relationships with people in your life. Uh, where professors, people you interact with and can be potentially mentors to you. You know, we interact with them in these very contrived and very organized circumstances. And it's kind of on you to take them from the classroom, from a summer camp, from a informal instructional environment and actually turn that into a friendship and a relationship. And it's extremely valuable when it kind of goes from the casual, you're a professor, I'm a student, we have nothing to talk about from school to sharing a bit of your personal life, sharing about your projects. And that actually leads to 
one plus one equals more than two because we have Gina now as someone we can always go to for ideas about our podcast and our projects and that makes us better for it. So look at the people around you and don't take them for granted. That are my, those are my takeaways for this episode. Sign off and call to action. Couple of things here. We have an email list. It's on our website, lewisandkyle.com. If you want to get on our email list and be bugged about new episodes, they'll come to your email instead of just being on your Instagram feed. Some people listen to the show, don't have Instagram. Good for them. I'm jealous. I should, I will get back there eventually. Uh, if you're like that, but you still want to know about new episodes, we have an email list. You'll hear about them there. For those people who are still trapped in social media like myself, because we think there are advantages to it and we're really torn if we should still have it or not. Uh, a little personal here. Well, we're posting on there in the meantime, at Lewis Kyle Show, or something fairly similar on all major platforms. We've been around long enough where Lewis and Kyle, or some combination of those words, usually finds our profile. That's all for this episode. If you liked it, leave a rating. Here's my promise to you. If you leave a rating on this episode and I see it before we record the next one, I will eventually read it and say thank you, assuming it is safe for work. So if you leave a rating and there's some nice things in there, I will share it in the next episode. Thanks X person for the review. We appreciate you. That's all for this one. We'll publish another episode in a week. Hope you all enjoyed. Bye-bye. Lewis is copy talking.